Thank you for tuning in to episode 15 of Adversity University, and welcome to class. Hey everyone, this is Sean. Today's guest was a friend of mine that we went to high school with, actually. His name is Holden Reaping. He has gone through some tough journeys here in the last couple of years. Uh, he's only young, but we get into it a lot in this interview. I actually found myself as just starstruck, kind of in awe of his story for a while. He gets really in detail toward the end of the interview about his experience with his Widowmaker, um, a heart attack that kills 97% of people that go through it. Garrett, what did you think of Holden? Yeah, Holden's a great kid. We've obviously known him since high school. He's only 23 years old now. I think he's turning 24 here uh, pretty soon, but quite the adversity he's gone through for only being 23. Um, and we touch on all the things during the episode, but a great guy, pretty well spoken to be honest too. And he kind of dives into the details of some of the stories. And uh, we found ourselves getting consumed in those stories. And me and Sean talked about it. Not that we ever really look at this as being a podcast. It's more of a conversation for us. But for us, we didn't even feel like we were doing an interview. It was just a, a conversation. And at one point, I was just completely lost in his story and felt so in the moment and felt like I was really there. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. And we're excited to share it with you. Yeah, he's very soft-spoken, and not only can you tell from his social media about his weight loss journey, but he really has changed his life. He's very knowledgeable about what happened to him. He knows all the medical dialect and those terms, and he knows exactly how those processes happened to his body, how they fixed it, and he definitely is here to try and help other people avoid what he had happen to him. So let's kick it on over to Holden Reaping. For all you listeners out there that don't know where Garrett and I began our hockey journey, it was with the Colorado Rampage, where a list of other notable alumni also began their career as young student athletes. The Colorado Rampage AAA hockey program is currently accepting registrations for their tryouts and identification camps to find elite players and people looking to play AAA hockey and take their career to the next level. The Rampage play in the Tier 1 Elite League, which is one of the best AAA leagues in the country. This is where your players will get to showcase their skill in front of scouts for the best junior teams, colleges, and even professional teams in North America. We would encourage anyone between the ages of 12 and 18 who are looking for a place to develop and start their hockey career the same way we did to send an email to play AAA at coloradorampage.org to get more information. That's P-L-A-Y-A-A-A at C-O-R-A-M-P-A-G-E dot org. You can also visit their website at www.corampage.com. Be better today than you were yesterday and join the herd. Today's guest is a dear friend of the podcast. At 21 years old, he survived a Widowmaker, a heart attack that kills 97% of people. Since then, he has lost 113 pounds, turned his life around, and is now a bit of an influencer, helping all of his followers maintain their fitness goals with his hashtag, GetYours. He also won the Role Model Award in his top 100 company in the Fortune 500 list. Welcome to Adversity University, Holden Reaping. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you for having me on. Holden, growing up, you were a bit of a military brat. So can you tell us what it was like, you know, living in different places and moving around the country and living in different countries as well? Uh, you know, I enjoyed it uh, just because you do get to see, you know, different cultures, different side of life. Uh, did bounce around a lot. We did, you know, six years in California. Um, you know, one year in Germany at, at two different places, um, Stuttgart and Ramstein. Then we did three years in Brunson, Netherlands. Uh, so it was interesting, you know, from, from about six to four, kind of, you know, getting the hang of Europe compared to America. Um, and then coming back into America, of course, you know, sports are two different things. You know, I, I was over there, um, you know, trying to be a baseball player, and a lot of the kids are kicking a soccer ball. And I was like, man, you know, it's play some baseball it wasn't it wasn't that way that was the culture you know that was what they were into um so then of course we went back to Dayton Ohio and um uh that was a big you know Ohio's a big baseball city I'm sorry big baseball state so it was you know kind of interesting you know bouncing around seeing how, how the different sports are you know influenced in each state you know of course California endless opportunities really at at a young age, it didn't, you know, affect me as much. Um, Ohio, I would say a big baseball state, also a big hockey state, um, in my opinion. Um, so it was interesting. We went from Ohio to Washington, D.C. for a year. 
Um, and that's completely different. It was all basketball there. You know, not many people are, you know, playing baseball, things like that. So it's, uh, you know, I'm playing, playing a little bit of everything. Um, I kind of, you know, shifted what the sport was there, you know, so it was baseball in Ohio. It was basketball in Washington, D.C. Um, and, and of course, just bouncing around a lot. That's kind of, you know, the one thing I had. I was homeschooled actually every day of my life until ninth grade. So, you know, not necessarily going to school, having that interaction. Uh, I had an older brother and I had, you know, my mom who was nice enough to get out there, pitch to us underhand with the bucket of balls, whatever. And, um, you know, that's kind of what we had, you know, especially being overseas. My dad was uh, deployed for, you know, a, a portion of time there. And it was really, you know, just my mom and three African-American kids overseas. And that's not something you see often. We don't speak the language. You know, we lived right by a school and they're like, hey, you know, why aren't you kids in school? And and it was it was interesting, you know, everybody's self-sufficient over there. They all have their own, you know, greenhouses, they have their own chickens, they have their own produce. You know, so it's it completely different. You come back here to America, it's we're buying things from the grocery store, you know, we're going full speed. Over over in, in uh Europe, you know, the bike lanes are bigger than than the you know, the road just about. It's their they're almost equal size, you know, so they kind of really do, I'm not going to say, you know, they push it. I feel like in America, they kind of push, you know, fitness, so to speak, but there it's kind of like engraved, you know, in their society, you know, just like that healthier lifestyle to begin with, you know, it's just, it's promoted, I, I would say in a, in a, a more, more, yeah, I would say in a more beneficial way, but, um, from there, you know, went went around the world and back. I'd say by 11 years old, uh, we moved here, and then you know we fell into a trap. And like a lot of people, we retired. You know, we just couldn't leave. And, and it's a million dollar view, you know, whether you're looking up or looking down. And, and we we stayed here. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to have grown up in Colorado Springs. It's such a beautiful place. And this isn't something Garrett and I have really talked about, but I feel like he agrees with me. Something that we've had the opportunity to do through hockey is kind of travel at least North America. We haven't gotten to go to Europe like you have. I'm hoping to someday get that opportunity. Um, but I think that it's really awesome to be able to experience different places, not just a vacation. Because when you vacation, right. you see the highlights. You see, you know, Colorado Springs, you see Pikes Peak, you see Garden of the Gods. Whereas if you live somewhere, you truly get to experience the culture and really dive into it and see those differences. Are there any cultural things from your time in Europe that you maybe would like to try and bring into your lifestyle over here in America? Uh, you know, I, I do feel like you hockey boys are always hopping on a plane every weekend. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I think that is the beauty of sports. You know, like you said, it wasn't it wasn't that vacation aspect. You know, we're not shopping, we're not hitting the mall. We are still, you know, going to see a different city, but we're also, you know, we're also in the zone. It's game time. You know, we're here to win the tournament. We're here to, you know, you're with the boys, but it's also we're we're working towards a common goal, which I, I did think that was cool and also you know, great thing that, that sports brings to us. Um, you know, as far as culture goes, I do, uh, like I said, I did, I did like just how, you know, fitness was almost like a, it's not so much of like a, a focus, but it's, it's, it's an afterthought, you know, it makes, it makes it a little bit easier, you know, it's a, you know, I feel like a lot of us, you know, people ask, you oh, you know, it's like, how do you stay motivated? You know, and we know, you know, wave comes, you know, motivation, excuse me, comes in waves, you know, and, and, for them, it's they don't necessarily like worry about the motivation or you know push themselves to, you know. I, I feel like a lot of people are just you know necessarily so hard on themselves that to them you know it just comes naturally, which would something I feel like with all the competition, all the social media, all the you know the you can lose it. You know you can lose yourself in that. It, it, you're instead of trying to better yourself you are now, you know, competing with other people. And I feel like, you know, for them, it's all about, you know, bettering yourself and your family. Do you think part of that is that you were there at a younger age when social media wasn't really blowing up? And now that you're back in America, it's the age of Twitter, it's the age of Instagram, where you're seeing all these, you know, really healthy, really fit people. Right. Do you think that maybe things have changed a bit over there? You know, I, I, I agree with that. You know, I was thinking about that today. I was like, I didn't grow up with, a, you know, an iPhone in my hand. I was just thinking, you know, I probably... I think it's probably about 2012, you know, I got an iPhone and, and that's when, 
you know, the iPhone that I'd say it was either equivalent to a camera. It started to become, you know, better than a camera. You can uh-huh. store and disperse your pictures, you know, in a matter of seconds. And excuse me, that was when we really saw, you know, things just everything, you know, everything's on tape nowadays. You know, it's like, you know, we're pulling up pictures or, you know, footage from games, you know, high school games, whatever. But since you grew up there before social media really took right. over, you were kind of saying like, over here, it's really competitive. Whereas back there, it's more laid back. True, true. Um, you know, I, I, you're right. Because, um, you know, it's always been around. You're right now. I feel like it's more, you know, apparent. Because, uh, of course, there's there's Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I want to say there's the, the Dorian Yates of the world. So those are some, you know, those are some, some European guys that were also, you know, some of the world's strongest men. So it was always around. Um, but you're right. You know, it's like if you are going to dive into that, realm you know that industry you can get lost in and you know there there's a a million men and women on instagram that are just you know tip-top shape you know three percenters you know zero whatever you know just the 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 best shape of their life and um it it, it all that's what i think it comes down to and that's also why i called it you know getting yours is is um it comes down to what you want you know it's like everybody has a different set of goals that's why i do appreciate you know, athletes, people in the gym, whatever, you know, it's all, we do have a different set of goals, but we're all, you know, working towards, you know, a common goal. We're all just really, you know, working on ourselves, trying to be, you know, a better version of ourselves. I feel like. And if you can grasp that and, you know, constantly remind yourself of that, um, I, I feel you'll be all right. I feel like the problem with Instagram nowadays, and Sean's mentioned it before on other episodes, but the reason that we started this is because Instagram is so like, you know, my life is so glorified. What, what were you saying earlier? The, the cookies and the candy. The cookies and candy. Like, yeah, I love that. highlight reel. It's yeah, highlight it reel. is. It's... And you talk about all these Instagram or fitness models on all these all these pages and, and Twitter yeah. and Instagram yeah, and Facebook. And you talk about the three percenters. And I think the problem with that stuff is everyone's like, that's what fitness is. Like, that's what being healthy looks like. And that's not right. what being healthy looks like because everybody's body's different. I may never be able to have a six pack in my life. You know what I mean? I could I could be in the gym and work abs every day for three years and I may never be able to ever have a six pack. Right. And people are like, that's what it is. And I think that it's so glorified and I think it's fucking bullshit. I agree. And (laughs) it it drives me nuts. And I want to touch back on one thing. Sean was asking you about Europe, like one thing that you would want to integrate over here. And I was thinking about what you said. I love the fact that they don't have processed food. Like right. they grow their, you know, they have their own gardens. They have their fresh vegetables. They have the the free range oh, chickens for eggs yeah. and chicken. Like I would love to see that when I'm older. And they're kind to let you borrow it if you're out. It's you know right next door. You can have a little chicken. Yeah. When I'm older, <laughs> nice. I'm hopeful that I'll have something like that. I just think it's a lot. It's one. It tastes better because it's fresh. I've had fresh eggs before from my Bill family in Wisconsin. It's way fresher. It's way healthier for you. And that's something I'd love to see. And the fitness aspect, you said that it's, you don't even think about it. It just happens. That's just what it is. I love that that's, it's very thoughtless. It's their culture in Europe. Mm-hmm. Like how many people like, think about all the people we play juniors with that come from Europe. How many of them are overweight or like fat? None. None. They're all in great yeah. shape. All right. You're going to tell me some kids you played with are a little lazy, but the majority of the kids are in great shape and you watch them in the summers. They're riding their bikes. They're hiking. Like, unbelievable i think it's really cool that is true it's a totally different lifestyle i know we like to poke a little fun at the european players on our team and you know when you're in the gym the americans you know you're doing squats as heavy as you can and you know really trying to load up the weight and the europeans are all about you know functional Functional movement they would literally just grab a pvc pipe and you know make sure their mobility is good and they're the fastest players on the team and you're like what the heck like i'm squatting 200 pounds more than this guy, and he's you know, I mean, faster than me. If they're sober pressing that 10, 15 pounds, you know, 50 times, though, they're going to have the, the best slap shot. You know, it's just – and that's kind of the way I look at fitness now, too. You know, as I used to be that big kid that where it's like, you know, let's hop in the gym, let's throw three plates on the bench, and let's chuck some weight up. You know, and then I, it got to the point where I was like, you know, it's cool and all, but I am also a bigger kid. And, you know, I can't do a pull-up. I'm like, you know, if I'm really in trouble, I can't save my own life. You know, and I'm like, I got to do more functional fitness. That's a good point. You know, so now, you know, now it's like I'd rather do, you know, these 10, 15-pound movements, you know, really just 25, 50 times, whatever. You know, I'll do those, you know, burnout sets of 100 or more uh, beginning into the workout, whatever, just because, 
for me, it's, you know, it's that repetition, you know, if I can do that movement 10 times, it makes my daily life easier. You know, I, I don't have, you know, necessarily back issues, things like that. I'm not worried about, um, you know, I got a 30 pound dog. She's a puppy. I got to pick her up. You know, <laughs> things like that. So it's, it just makes, you know, those little things that you don't necessarily think about easier, you know, and, and my life, I guess, became better. It's a lot cooler with those three plates on there. My life became better when I, when I tossed that ego to the side and, and, you know, put my pride to the side and started, you know, working on what is actually going to make me better, not going to make, you know, not necessarily going to make me mentally fit, you know, that just not, not what's, it's not going to stroke my ego, but what's going to make me feel physically feel better. This is going to be a little nerdy, but uh, I was in a class called biomechanics and it's basically about how the human body works. Um, and they talked about how as people age, the reason that your walking stride length gets shorter is actually because of your hip mobility. So people, you know, they don't really stretch. They don't do those other things. And you, we put a lot of wear and tear on our bodies, you know, just walking around every day and, um, all those things that we do daily. So people who are more flexible, you're going to have a way better life later on because you're just going to have way more functional movement. And I think that that's something that has definitely changed. I know Garrett can probably attest to this too. Our workouts, you know, even in the past five years, there's been a much larger emphasis on functional movement. And, you know, you just do like band work and you work on, you know, making sure your hips are strong and your knees are strong and your shoulders rather than, you know, how much can you squat? How much can you bench? No, and, and um, you know, I, I I wholeheartedly agree. I was kind of thinking about, you know, really really what Garrett said there, too, about the cookies and candy and just the, the image of fitness, too, is, you know, we see those those miracle feeds. You know, it's like, you know, physically they may, they may be fit, but unfortunately that causes a whole other set of problems, you know. And, and for me, you know, I work out for the mental benefit. So I know I, I never necessarily wanted that to get in the way, you know, so I didn't want me to be stressed about having that, that million dollar timeline. Like if people get on my timeline, you know, I don't want them to see that, you know, if you get on my timeline, there's, there's a little bit of, a little bit of everything, you know, I got, you know, pictures from when, when I was a bigger kid, you know, 275, 300 pounds. I got a bunch of dogs on there. I got workout. I, you know, I mix it up. Um, you know, but you're right. You can't get so lost in, in that image. You were a standout baseball player growing up. What did baseball mean to you as a kid? Um, you know, baseball, like I said, you know, being homeschooled every day of my life till ninth grade, you know, that's really all I had, you know, bouncing around, um, you know, in the United States overseas, that, that was it. You know, I had, like you said, my mom with the bucket of balls. We got out there. I had a little metal pole and, and the, the tiny, you know, wiffle ball golf balls. We would just, you know, hit, you know, 50, 100 of those for our, for our lunch break, you know, and, and um, to just do that and, and you know, want to be good at that and, you know, really have that, you know, the one thing that you're holding on to when everything else was, you know, excuse me, kind of inconsistent. It was my dad would come home and, you know, we're, we're bouncing around again. It's like I never knew, you know, where we're going to be or what was going to happen. Or, you know, who's going to be there? You know, if it's just going to be, you know, my family and, and my mom or, or really the kids and my mom or if it's going to be, you know, the five of us. And, and um, of course, 9-11 happened, you know, shortly after my fifth birthday. Um, and, and my dad shipped out on my fifth birthday. It was October 7th of, of 2001. And from there, you know, everything else was kind of a question mark. You know, we never knew, you know, what was going to happen when. And, and that was the one consistency I had. You know, it's like it didn't matter where I was. You know, on this in this world, on this earth, you know, the one thing I have is my baseball bat and my glove. You know, just, just don't take my bat and my glove. And um, you know, unfortunately, it didn't. It you know, it's kind of how I ended up here too. It didn't last long. I um, it was playing baseball for a couple of years. Uh, I was excited. I got in high school. I was young. You know, I was I was go getter. I wanted to you know chuck those weights up in the gym, and uh, I didn't believe in stretching. You know, and and um, ended up breaking both my hips when I was 15 years old. Um, swing of the baseball bat, you know, and um, one swing of the bat, and you broke both of your hips. Yeah, it was separate incidents, but I spoke, uh, broke the right one first. You know, swung the baseball bat, and, and just you know, didn't didn't believe in stretching the upper body was um, too strong for my lower body. They said, and and swung, and, and the bones that attach from your you know kind of your upper body to your hip bone, they kind of it, it just pulled and crushed it, and um, 
we x-rayed the wrong spot, you know, so we, we didn't know. And, and, and you boys know, you know, better than anybody if you don't play for one game, you know, weeks, whatever, it's a, it, it doesn't matter. You, know, you can lose your spot that quick. You know, it happens to anybody, even the pros. And, and um, you know, really, everybody's replaceable except for LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, you know, some of the top <laughs> And um, it, it's true. So, you know, there's always that fear of, you know, that pressure of losing your spot. So I was like, you know, I got to get it back out there. Um, and they weren't telling me, you know, anything was broken. We were actually the wrong spot. We actually, um, you know, up here. And it actually ended up being just, you know, lower. Um so I was, I was, you know, kind of on the sidelines for about a couple of weeks there. I was still 15 at this time. Uh, couldn't, you know, didn't have a license, couldn't drive yet. Well, but about about halfway through, I got into a 110 mile an hour car crash uh, with Cooper. Yeah, we just right right up here in the the area. Was that the one on Woodman Road? It's the one on the one on Woodman Road. We were just driving home right after school. You know, oh, didn't have baseball yeah. practice that day, whatever. Just driving home, going 110 miles an hour just, on just a 40 mile per hour road. <laughs> Holy Shave a couple minutes off our, our time. Yeah, there, but, I'll uh, say. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, was on just just was on the passenger side, and you know, luckily got wear your seatbelt, but I luckily got my seatbelt on, you know, in time, and and because um, you know when you're sliding out, it clicks, you know, it locks up. So I just gotten it on and. You know, we hit on my side with the door panel off, blew through the mailbox, everything. Um, so I ended up walking all the way home, you know, all the way up that mountain on that broken hip, on that, that right hip. And then still, you know, we never knew, you know, what was going on, whatever. Um, so summer ball came around. You know, pressure's on. Are you playing? Are you playing? Um, and then, you know, I lasted about three games in a summer ball, pay all that money, whatever. And, you know, the, the left one goes, you know, and, and here I am. You know, I'm, I'm about four months away from being 16. I'm still 15, and I got two broken hips. You know, they're, they're giving me a bottle of painkillers now. And, 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 and that one thing, you know, that I had my whole life, you know, that my one consistency, no matter where I was on this earth, you know, I always had my bat and my glove. They just took my bat and my glove away. I'm like, man, you know, I didn't necessarily know at the time. You know, of course, you never want to accept the – Except the fact that you're hanging up, you know, at, at any stage. But um, I tried, you know, for another year there. It just, you know, just didn't work out. And, um, of course, I never really <laughs> officially retired in, in my mind. But um, I just, you know, that was it. That was the last game. You know, I never stepped on the field again. Um, so that that was, you know, that was the first time, you know, they took away the, you know, everything, you know, the one thing I had for me at that point. Um, that's kind of what compounded you know, the issues I would have, you know, necessarily later in my life, you know, it's, it wasn't that the heart disease and the, you know, this obstructive sleep apnea, these um, conditions I have, you know, were, they were always there. I just didn't know about it, you know, and it, this necessarily compounded that and, and caused that snowball effect to make that, you know, stretch from 15 to, you know, 21 that much, you know, quicker that's a young age to lose something that you care so much about too and uh is me and sean can attest this for hockey for us is like it's an escape from life when you're playing hockey like you're not thinking about anything else if you fought with your girlfriend you're not thinking about it like if it was a tough time at home you're not thinking about it and you're only 15 so your outlet was completely gone but i want to touch back on you know going through this whole rehab for your hips how did you mentally stay positive when you were immobile for so long like who is your support group like how is it going through rehab Run us through that a little bit. You know, kind of, kind of both out. It was, it was a double whammy. You know, it's like I lifted weights to be good at sports, and it was like, man, it's kind of the, it was a little bit of the ultimate betrayal. I was like, you know, weights is what did me in. So I got mad at the weight room for a while. You know, and that didn't do me any good. But um, I, uh, I, I did do you know physical therapy, started rehabbing the hips. It was interesting, you know, and tough because it was both at the same time. You know, in the way I broke them. I broke my growth plate, and they said I broke it, you know, almost completely, you know, 180 all the way around. So they said I was almost, you know, internally, like, decapitated, you know, like, separated, you know, from from my bottom half, you know. And um, and they're like, never, you know, they said they'd never seen anything like it. But uh, so it's tough, you know, I still have, you know, the hip pain and things like that. But really, you're right, you know, I, I was still holding on to that hope of baseball. I was mad at the weight room. Um, you know, positivity was hard to come by. It was, it was, you know, I knew I had to do it, but at the time I was at such a young age, I'm 15 years old and, and, 
you know, unfortunately, the first thing, the first solution I was offered was, here's this big old bottle of pills, you know, and, and I, that opens a whole other can of worms. You know, so I, I ended up not taking the pills. Um, ended up, you know, my mom ended up throwing them away, like, a day later. And, um, um, you know, I just had to find, you know, necessarily another avenue. I was always a, a social person. You know, at this point in my life, I had been interacting with people for about a little bit less than two years, you know. So I still had about two years of high school left. Um, so I, I don't know. You know, I kind of got mad at at the, the weight room and, and sports and things like that. It you know, so I, you know, started putting on some weight. I, I uh, you know, I was, I, I was a little bit of a, I, I partied in high school, you know, of <laughs> course, and, um, you know, put on some weight. Um, and of course, the weight, you know, then compounded those issues. You can't always say it's, you know, the condition, but it just, you know, sped it up. You know, I was kind of necessarily looking for an outlet. It wasn't going to be the pills. What it was going to be. You know, and and the only other thing I had at that point in sports, I guess, was friends. You know, and that's kind of the first time in my life that I had, you know, put my foot down somewhere. You know, I had a good group of friends. I had a lot of friends, and and I wasn't moving. You know, my dad had just retired. We just just retired my sophomore year, so this happened shortly after. So, um, you know, we ended up breaking both my hips, jumping through that. Um, about seventeen years old, and uh, you know. Partying, partying kind of got the best of me. That's when I had a little incident there with, with uh, some fireworks. We we were gonna ask about that actually. Uh, <laughs> I figured we wouldn't jump into it, but if uh, Sean's gonna dive into it, then I guess obviously, okay. obviously we went to high school together, and there was a a picture going around where uh, most of your face was on fire. Were you all right? You all right fire. talking about that story? Yeah. What did you, you take? Know. You took an Everclear shot that was on fire, right? You shot Everclear. Yes, I yes I did. And you know it wasn't a flaming shot. You blew it out, right? So I, you know, I think <laughs> you blew it out. <laughs> at that point, you know, I'd say, do, Mr. Doing anything to be cool. You know, I started a lot of parties, doing doing things like that, and and you know, just trying to find that next outlet. It wasn't necessarily. You know, an outlet, it wasn't anything that was good for me, anything that I wanted, and it kind of then compounded those, those problems like I was talking about. So I, I did, you know, end up taking that flaming shot every clear for my whole face off. Um, you know, I didn't blow it out. So as soon as that liquor went through the fire, it all catches on fire. So I'm like, no, I'm like, you know, I can't swallow it. So, you know, you had to blow it out. And, and um, you know, next thing you know, um, I saw my nose on fire, so I tried to wipe it. My whole face catches on fire. So now my face is on fire. You know, I can't open my eyes. If I open my eyes, my eyes are going to burn. You know, you're going to die from shock, most likely. You know, and um, um, so at this point, you know, I'm like, it's really hot. It's the most painful thing I've experienced at this point. But, um, you know, I've got 10 seconds or less. You know, it's either I put this fire out or my friends, you know, just see me die. They're like, what are you know, being kind of being a dumbass? You know, and, um, so I'm starting to you know, beat myself up. Uh, my hand catches on fire. Um, so I'm like, oh shit! You know, my hands are on fire now. My face is on fire. Clothes are the only option. This is the last resort. You know, you're probably about five seconds in. So take my shirt off. Um, you know, some of my buddies, Phelan, Tyler Duckworth, they also you know pretty much you know beat the shit out of me and, and, and um, get the fire out. So um, you know, at that point, that was the most painful thing that I had experienced. At that Even point. breaking your hips. I, I would say, um, you know, it was, it was a different kind of pain. But, man, That's that, fair. that sharp, yeah, that, that still was just the most, just because it was, it, you, you deteriorate quick, you know, just being on fire. So I was like, man. And, and um, so, you know, that, and it was those two things, uh, those painful experiences that would, you know, ultimately help decisions that would you know save my life later which was cool how long did it take you to recover from that ah well it took me about a you know and i'd say i'd still see it but um it took me about a whole year to grow it back i immediately yeah peeled my face off things like that and it's you know that's it there there goes your senior year so you know we we lost sports you know halfway through high school you ruined your senior year you know nice job buddy but uh (laughs) so so really at that point i was really winning um you know (laughs) i had to i had to keep it going but uh i don't know you know and, and all of these things just 
Uh, other than the hips, you know, the face thing is kind of very public. You can't hide that. A lot of people like. I remember you showing up to school with the blisters and stuff, and I was like, "Holy, yeah, what people happened?" Yeah. Like, hey, can I touch it? And you're like, "Man, so, <laughs> man, it, it was interesting." But you know, it's it. You get to experience, um, uh, you know, in a way, kind of being in the public eye in a small way at the, at the high in a high school level like that, and I was like, "Man, this is." Not what I want to be remembered for, not what I want to be, you know, portraying, but that's all I had at that point, you know, and it's nothing more than now something I can laugh about. But uh, ultimately, it did help me, you know, in the long run, is why I bring it up. Yeah. You talk about how all these things compounded and, you know, the weight gain and all that. You suffered a heart attack that is fatal for 97% of people. What put you in this position? And can you take us through that moment? where maybe you woke up or realized it was happening what was going through your mind um you know like i said you know i uh, really started you know 15 and broke my hips so i started you know adding adding that weight and um you know next thing you know my, my heaviest i'd probably say probably 19 or 20 i was at you know 312 pounds and um my playing days i was probably about 215 then i went to 215 you know next thing you know here i am and at 312 and you know everybody says oh it happens that quick you know and you're, you're aware of it it didn't necessarily happen that quick but it it, it, it caught up to me and um you know necessarily and, and then it did you know just compound those lifetime issues that i never knew were happening you know i always say that i was a ticking time bomb you know i had um coronary artery disease obstructive sleep apnea and clotting disorders so in a way it was going to happen, it, it was just, you know, a matter of, it wasn't if, it was a matter of when. Um, so it was interesting, you know, I got to about 1920 and I got to that, you know, 312 pound mark and it was my mom actually got me up, you know, and she's like, you got to, you know, you got to get going. You know, she's like, I'm not going to sit here and watch you die, you know, and um, so we just started out, you know, five minutes a day, it's five minutes a day on the treadmill. I dreaded that five minutes a day. Um, the first day I went down there, I just got on the treadmill. I didn't want to do it. I was like, you know, this, it absolutely sucked. It, was, it wasn't easy. It was hard. But um, um, and I think the first day, I, I did do it. But I got on there. I got off. <laughs> I got on there. And, and then it was the second time I got on there, I did it. You know, I did that five minutes. And then, um, you know, it's just finding those little ways to push yourself. You know, as if you're doing a mile, you know, add that quarter mile, whatever, you know, and, and keep going to that next step. Um, of course, hardest part, you know, is just getting there. So we got there, you know, we started going, we started working on that 312. You know, we, we stopped throwing that pity party that, you know, we've been throwing since we were 15. And we started doing something for ourselves at about 1920. So I was picking up some steam. I was excited, you know, I was working, working out about, you know, four or five times a week, hitting the gym. I got a good job at Progressive Insurance. There was a gym in the building, you know, and, and, it, it, and you do kind of cater your workouts you know, around your lifestyle, like you guys are saying, you know, being hockey guys and things like that, and you, you know, you do appreciate, you know, sometimes having that opportunity, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, we talk about the daily grind, you know, if you're out doing construction 12 hours a day, do you have the juice at the end of the day to get your workout? You know, I'm not going to call that a workout, it's definitely work. You might be country boy strong, but you're still not getting your heart rate up, you're not getting that, you know, that cardiovascular benefit, you're not getting that blood flow through your heart, whatever, and, um, you know, it was really, like I said, catering it around, you know, that lifestyle. At that point, I was, you know, working at a uh, at a call center, you know, so I was sitting around all day. I knew I had to, you know, do something to keep going. I didn't want to not stop losing weight. So um, at that point, you know, I was, I was hitting the gym, you know, four or five times a week. I got down, you know, about 40, 50 pounds to about the, the 270s, 260s, um, you know, and I turned 21. And, you know, we, we know all the joys that come with turning 21. Um, and, and then it was about, and I was in October 2017. And it was about that December. You know, I just remember getting really sick and, and you know, just started getting super tired. Um, you know, couldn't do much. And then, and then it happened. Uh, and I still had the gym at that point, still going. Um, and it was about April. You know, I had just finished up, you know, hitting the gym and, and was headed home, and that's when I had my first little incident with the heart. And I was like, "Man, you know, this is I was like, this is some real heart pain." You know, I'm, you know, just having trouble breathing. You know, I stopped, pulled over, had to get out of the car, and 
know, at this point, I'm like, oh, you know, you, you, know, you don't think anything of it because you're that young, you know, and, and um, uh, you know, really, I just want to go home, you know, yeah, just, you know, brush it off, and, and uh, luckily, I was with one of my buddies after the gym, and he's like, no, you know, this is heart pain, man, you don't, you don't mess around, you know, so he's like, oh, I'll take you, um, so we went to the hospital, um, this was April 12th, 2018, and, um, you know, we did all the tests, and, and it's interesting, because I feel I went too soon, but, um, um, you know, we did the EKG, we did, you know, the, the one blood draw, things like that, and, and you know, everything checked out. So, you know, they sent me home, um, and over the next four months, you know, it was exactly four months, but um, I went to the hospital, I'm sorry, I went to the doctor six times, and that span of four months, you know, and I went from losing that, um, you know, 40, 50 pounds and working working out four or five times a week to now sleeping, you know, 16 hours a day. I can't work out. I can't go to work. can't do anything. Um, they tell me I have a lung virus. Uh, so they tell me I have a lung virus, and they tell me to stop lifting weights. Um, so then, you know, there it is again. I'm like, you know, I was mad at the weight room for a couple of years. Now, you know, now they're trying to take away the one thing I have, which is my weight room. So um, really at that point, I, you know, I couldn't even get out of bed, so I couldn't do it anyway. But, uh over those four months, you know, I, I was still trying, still trying to work out, and, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I should have known, but, um, you know, kind of what Garrett was touching on with, you know, having the technology and things, you know, on your wrist almost kind of let you know, hey, you know, you might be at cardiac risk, um, you know, I didn't have any of that, but I, I had, you know, a bunch of signs, especially like a couple of weeks before I had the heart attack. Uh, I remember hopping on a treadmill, and I was gassed you know like 30 seconds i mean i was at my max heart rate i was like boy i'm i'm huffing and puffing i gotta stop you know and i'm like it was excuse me it was so confusing to me because i was you know we always see what we call you know a walking heart attack you know and they're quicker people you know no offense that everybody carries weight in their own way but it's, it's you know even the biggest loser people is what i'm getting at can can run you know we can we, they can run quarter mile mile whatever you know but i couldn't complete even that 30 seconds without nothing puffing, having to hop off. And this is after you'd been working out too. So obviously this you were is, seeing a pattern that was like, this doesn't right. make sense. It was uh, demoralizing. I'm like, man, I don't get it. And, you know, it, right. It was, I, I was, it was, it was demoralizing, you know, and, and we're thinking lung virus, stop lifting weights, but I'm still trying to, you know, do cardio. So trying to move forward somehow. Um, and, and then I tried lifting weights too. And, and, you know, that didn't work out. Um, and it was like two days before um, I, decided I was going to try and go on a bike ride. I live on the top of a mountain, and I, <laughs> I took the easy way down on first, and, man, as soon as I started pedaling, like I pedaled about 10, 10 pedals, I said, oh, man, I got I to stop. And I, I was at that point, I was so demoralized because I just thought I was so out of shape. And I was like, man, this is – it was like another level of rock bottom because you're supposed to be 21 years old. You thought you were moving in the right direction, and – yeah, nobody can tell you what's going on. You know, nobody knows what's going on. And in, in a way, it was uh, uh, it, it was it was kind of a relief to you know, ultimately figure out what was happening and know that it was a, a heart problem. Because you know, we, we and not that you weren't putting in enough work in order to make yourself better and yeah, be towards yeah. a healthier lifestyle. Mentally, you can pick at yourself and beat yourself up. You're like, what am I doing wrong? Because yeah, I'm, you know, it's not that I'm not putting in effort here. I am trying. It's just not working out. But it's like, why is it not working out? And, um, you know, if we could pinpoint the problem, I feel like I could, you know, address it and figure out a game plan and take care of it. And that, that's, that's, that's ultimately where, where we ended up. Yeah. And we were talking earlier, and you said that you were up in Fort Collins visiting some friends, and then on your way back down, you dropped off one of your friends, and then you started to feel the heart problems again. Right. Um, so can you kind of take us through, like, the heart attack and what happened? Yeah, um, you know, I just made it back to town. I had, like, like you said, I just dropped um, that friend off, and, and I was kind of down by um, the airport here in Colorado Springs, which is way away from, from, you know, my house and, um, you know, it was night day. It was, it was like, you know, somebody flipped the light switch off on me and, and, um, uh, you know, I just, it was, that, that it was it. You know, I, I had those, the, you know, I had that sharp shooting pain, you know, kind of down my left arm, that tingliness in my fingers, 
you know, the numbness down your left side, you know, everything. And, and me, in my mind, you know, I'm still thinking lung virus, you know, just because you can't breathe, you know, it's deep breaths hurt, you know, you got to take a lot of things like that. And I had no idea, you know, what was going on. So I, I was tired beyond belief. I had to, you know, I thought I had taken out. So I took all my, you know, lung medication. I thought I had taken out, and um, I went to my brother's house because um, his house was closer at that point. And I got there. It was his dog there, and um, she's a good dog, sweet dog. I, I love this dog. And um, you know, I, she she knew, you know, something wasn't right. I was I was sitting there, um, you know, trying to breathe, you know, just trying to, you know, besides my chest, whatever, um, just trying to relax and. Um, you know, and I, and I laid down, I was trying to sleep and I just couldn't fall asleep, but, um, you know, she wasn't going to let me fall asleep. And, um, she, she was licking my face, you know, jumping on me, whatever. Um, and, you know, at this point I'm just like, you know, I, I didn't know, you know, I still didn't know. I'm like, you know, just leave me alone. And, and so I rolled on my stomach, I put my face on a pillow, you know, just like shut everything off, you know, just leave me alone, I need a second. And, um, she still, you know, jumped on my back, was licking me, you know, everything. And, and, Luckily, she didn't leave me alone because I got, you know, frustrated enough to where I said, all right, you know, I'm getting up, I'm going, I'm, I'm going back to my parents' house, you know, at this point. Um, you know, it was about 2 o'clock when this this ultimately hit, and um, I stayed there until about 5. I was trying, I was trying, trying to take a nap. She wouldn't leave me alone for, for hours on end, you know, and, and nothing's working, you know, it's only getting worse, so I drive, you know, across town. 75, 80 miles an hour, you know, not, not a good idea, but I'm, you know, I'm flying across town. I have no idea what's going on. Um, um, you know, I'm texting my mom, like, you know, I just, you know, I'm having you know, real heart, heart problems right now. So um, I get home, you know, she's helping me out. You know, we're taking ibuprofen. I'm taking a hot shower, a cold shower, a bath, you know, we're massage. We're trying everything, you know, and, and um, I got to got to a point where, you know, we're, we're, it was about eight o'clock and, um, so about six hours in and, um, I was like, man, I'm just so over this. Um, you know, at this point, this is just the most painful thing I've ever experienced. You know, it was, it was those two things prior and I'm like, man, you know, I, I, I keep thinking that's going to be it, you know, and, and here I am, you know, topped myself again. I'm like, this is the most painful thing I've ever experienced. I can't breathe. I, I, um, and I'm still thinking still, I know it's heart pain, but I'm still thinking, you know, it just, who knows, you know, but um, I, I'm like, all right, so I'm going to take some ibuprofen, I'm going to take a handful of ibuprofen, I'm going to take a handful of Zyrtec, and I'm going to knock myself out, you know, I'm just, just going to wake up and be all right tomorrow, you know, and, and that's what my dad said, you know, sometimes pills aren't always the answer, I got upset, um, I went back to my room, you know, and, and that's when I felt like I was going to hit the ground, you know, I felt like I was going to drop, I'm like, man, you know, that was that was the point. Um, so I text my mom, and I'm like, all right, you know, it's about six hours in, and I'm like, I need, I need to go to the hospital, and I feel like I'm going to hit the ground, you know, and I'm still like, oh, you know, I'll drive myself, I'll be back tomorrow, you know, this is just, they're going to get me another shot in the ass, and we're going to keep it moving, and another steroid shot, whatever. Um, and they're like, no, we're not doing that, you know, so we'll, we'll drive you down there. So um, they drive me down there, we get there, um, I get into the ER, you know, you're a 21 year old kid. I walk in there and I go, Hey, I have, you know, dealing with excruciating heart pain right now. And they're like, you know, what? you look just fine, you know? And, um, so I'm like, oh, this, you know, this is real heart pain. And, um, they get in there to take my blood pressure. It was 224 over 122. Um, so that's when I'm like, all right, sit down, you know? And, um, um, I got, you know, back from my visit in April, I, I had, um, an EKG. So I'm like, oh, you already did one. We don't need to do one again, you know. I'm like, no, you know, this is this is real heart pain, you know. So, I'm, so in a way, I'm you know, I'm sitting here dying, you know. I'm still arguing with these people that you know this is heart pain, and and six visits, ER visit, whatever. We still, you know, we still have never checked the heart. We did diabetes, thyroid, we did everything else, but and, and um, so you know, like all right, you know, we'll do an EKG, um, and then you know, they do an EKG, they wait for the results, and they go, all right, you know, we're gonna take you back. You want to say goodbye to your parents? I'm like, all right, you know, I'll do that. So I'm like, you know, goodbye, mom, dad. You know, see you here in a couple hours. I'll drop, you know, leave my car here. I'll, I'll, I'll see you. You know, I'll see. You. I'll be home here in a little bit. And um, they take me back. Um, and, and then you know, that's when they strap me down. They got eight nurses, you know, two doctors in there, and they go, you know, where are your parents? And I'm like, 
what do you mean? You know, I just, I just said, I just said goodbye to them. And they're like, well, you might want to call and get them here. And I'm like, you know, at this point, I had always known, you know, it was a heart problem. But I'm like, what's going on? You know, and, and um, you know, they were nice. and never wanted to flat out say, you know, they, they kind of danced around. They're like, we'll sugarcoat it to you in a way. In a way, but um, um, they said, you know, it's, your, your heart is um, not getting good blood flow and some areas is not getting good blood flow at all, you know, so you need to call or get your parents here. So I call my parents, you know, and first thing you go, you know, it is a heart problem. And my mom, you know, at this point is, is on to it. So she goes, oh, you know, she, she had known. So we're like, ah, oh, you know, it is a heart problem. And at this point it's, you know, I tell them, well, this has been going on since two o'clock. It is now, you know, 10 p.m. So we've been going for eight hours and, um, that's when they're like, all right, you know, we're, we're, we're in the golden hour, you know, your body's fighting, you got, you know, you got 60 minutes or less, you know, we got to, we got to make it now. So, um, I talked to my mom, you know, they kind of rushed me off the phone with my mom. He talks to my mom, you know, and kind of explains the situation, you know, he just goes and do this, you know, cool, calm and collective the whole time, you know, and then he goes, can I call you back? You know, and it, with, <laughs> with, with no intention of, you know, ever calling my mom back, but, you know, just how calm that dude was, you know, like. It was amazing, you know, but um, from there, you know, that's when that's when we got going, you know, kind of the calmness went away, you know, and he said, all right, we got to, you know, we got to get, we got to run, you know, we got to move, and, and he's like, we got to go to CAT scan, then we got to go to the cath lab, and, um, you know, I'd, I've done some CAT scans before, mostly for concussions and things like that, but this, I had no idea what's going on, I've never seen any of this, um, thank God for technology, because they sit you down and they plug you in into a machine, they go, this machine will tell us if you're having a heart attack. I have no idea, you know, what they did before that. But, so this is the first time we've seen all of this, and, you know, this is all happening at once, and, um, you know, so we start running, you know, he's like, all right, so we're going to um, the CAT scan first. Um, so we're, you know, there, those eight nurses are pushing that car, you know, and they're going left, right, left, you know, and I'm like, I'm thinking they're coordinating with each other, but, you know, really, they're they're telling me, you know, because we're, we're drifting that car. They know where they're going. I don't necessarily know where we're going, but they, we are moving that car. We get to CAT scan. He goes, how long is this going to take? They go, five minutes. He goes, we got to do it in three minutes. And, you know, he is moving, and he hops in there and helps me get ready. We're going, and that's when I'm like, all right, you know, this is, this is serious. This is the real deal. Um, you know, I'm still, you know, still not necessarily taking it serious. I'm still... I'm still, you know, cracking jokes. You just don't necessarily, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, grasp the the magnitude of, of that moment. And um, so, so we got through the CAT scan um, pretty quick, and then we got to go to cath lab. And I have, I have no idea what the cath lab is at that point. I've already called my parents. Um, I just saw most of my friends, you know, the the group of my friends the day before. I mean, everybody thinks it's all fine and dandy. You don't get to call, you know, all your friends and relatives and say, hey, I might be dying, you know, so, so that's it. They make you do one of these. They rip off all the clothes you're wearing, and um, they, they get you, you know, prepped for, for surgery, which um, they have two options. You know, they can either go up the right wrist on the cardiac cath, or they can go, you know, the femur artery. So they're, you know, prepping both areas. I have, you know, still no idea what's going on. I'm cracking jokes. I'm like, it's really... Life is really happening, and the guy's like, "Yeah, life is really happening." <laughs> and, and you know, and that's when I was like, "Oh, you know, like you know, these guys kind of look concerned." And um, uh, you know, that really news to me. I, I didn't know that there's paperwork associated with if if they think and, and know you're gonna die, you have to sign twelve sheets of paperwork. You have to sign a bunch of you know, worst case scenario if a decision has to be made, you know, who's gonna make that decision for you type of paperwork power of attorneys, pull the plug, things like that. And, and so you, you, they rush you through that, you sign all the paperwork. Um, and then, you know, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to, we're going to put you to sleep. You know, he said, um, you know, we can't promise anything, but we're going to get you the best treatment care, you know, as quick as possible and as fast as possible is what he told me, you know, when, when we got going and, um, you know, they put you to sleep. Um, again, I had no idea how that works, which, you know, put you to sleep with like it's it's another drug, but it's you know fentanyl, which you know everybody knows uh, does not have a good street rep. And to me, I was like, oh, I thought this kills people. And they go, well, not here. You know, so they do pump you with a, a bunch of fentanyl and another drug, and they put you to sleep. Um, and they periodically inject that through there. 
Um, but they, they got going. You know, they shoot a little balloon up your right wrist, up and around. And it's the right wrist up and around and down into your heart. And, and they expand that balloon, you know, trying to crush the clot and remove a uh, cardiac stent. It's kind of like a, a metal pin spring. Uh, so I do have a piece of metal in my heart still. And um, they were trying to crush that clot. And at this point, you know, it's 100% blocked. And they're going for eight hours. You know, at that point, this is your you know, left anterior descending. It's the LAD. You know, so it, it feeds your left ventricle, feeds your whole body with blood. You know, so if that shuts down, you know, there's, there's, there's not much room for error. You know, you don't have much time. It's either you're going to lose, you know, cognitive function, you know, mental capacity, whatever you want to call it, you're going to lose those functions. Um, so I got to that point, we, we expanded that balloon, um, actually, it was the 12th time, you know, they expanded for 30 seconds at a time, but it was the 12th time that it worked, and um, they woke me up about halfway through, you know, they're like, hey, um, we doubled your blood pressure and your blood thinner meds, and nothing's working, and I kind of just felt like it was, you know, like, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, you know, the plane's going down, and I'm like, you know, why, why would you do that? And, and um, but, you know, I said, you know, we doubled everything, nothing's working. And I just said, oh, you know, do, do whatever it takes. And, and it's not like that necessarily made made the uh, decision or, you know, it is what made it work. But that doctor definitely spent, you know, some time in there. I mean, he blew that balloon up 12 times for 30 seconds, and it was a whole, you know, six minutes of having your artery you know, blown up like that, which is a risk, you know, in itself, because if that thing goes, that's it. And, um, so, you know, we, he said we had 60 minutes, we got out of there, and 66 minutes, I was in there from 2, I'm sorry, from 10.30 to about 11.35, and, um, like, like you guys asked, asked about, um, I, you know, halfway through there, I, I, you know, had a conversation, of course, with, um, the right before, I mean, when I got in there, I had, I had a conversation, you know, with the man upstairs, and I had, Something in my childhood, you know, where I said, oh, you know, I never ask you for anything if you, if you, you know, hook it up this one time, you know? and, um, and then here I am, you know, I'm sitting there, I said, yeah, Lord, it's, it's me again, you know, and, and um, I said, man, you know, if you give me, you know, one more, one more, you know, second chance, I'd make it count, you know, and, um, uh, as soon as I woke up, you know, in the ICU, um, uh, first thing the doctor said, you know, he said, God gave you a second chance at life, and. And he shook my hand. He said, you have a piece of metal in your heart. You know, carry this card around uh, for the rest of your life and you know, show it to anybody that you know, sees you. you know? and, and from there, you know, it's just like, it, it was interesting, you know, and, and intense because, you know, those moments in my childhood, those painful moments led me to realize, you know, this is serious. This is, you know, 10 out of 10 pain. This is the first time I can say that, you know, we'll go. Um, but now, you know, just that, you know, even the flaming shot, the car accidents, those are, you know, take you know, near-death experiences. But, um, you know, you just get so prepared for that moment. You know, as prepared as you can be, you know, they tell you, oh, you know, you're, in a way, you know, you're, you're dying. You got to sign this paperwork, call your parents. You know, you just get so prepared as you can be in that moment. Um, to wake up on the other side of that, you're like, it's a big feeling of, you know, what do you do from here? You know, you're like... You're in so much pain. You have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, and, and then that was the beginning of well, I get where we are now. Hearing you say that you sent a prayer up when you haven't prayed a lot, haven't been very religious growing up. You know, until that point, you sent a prayer up, and then the first thing you hear when you wake up with that three percent chance of survival is God gave you a second chance. Um, that's just crazy, but. Um, you then went on this next phase of your life, which has been very good, and you've lost over 100 pounds, and now you post about living your life to the fullest for yourself and for the people who have this same heart attack as you and didn't survive. Um, you have your hashtag, get yours. How did you come up with this phrase as your motto, and why is it something that drives you? You know, for, for me, uh, I uh, just, you know, never forget being in that hospital bed. You know, I, I just felt... You know, for, for really the first moment of my life, um, just extremely powerless. You know, I, I for, for someone who always wanted to tell people, you know, it's, if, if there's a problem, you know, give us some time, some resources, you know, we'll figure it out. This is the first time, you know, I felt like there might be a problem and, and there might not necessarily be a solution to it. But, you know, I just felt powerless because I couldn't tell people, 
you know, I was going to be okay. I can tell my friends, my mom, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, we were shooting in the dark. I mean, my mom spent every, every night in the hospital with me, you know, thinking that she could wake up and I could be dying, you know, at that moment. I, I didn't necessarily think that was fair, you know, to anybody. I feel like being a sports player, you know, it's, it, is, it is tough, you know, being on the sidelines, you know, especially in a situation like that, you know, I mean, I know I got the, the juice to, to keep going, but you know they, they I, you know they necessarily don't. But um, so um, it, it was it was interesting because you know I, I did feel just completely powerless. I was had a whole another you know ball game. I was went from taking primarily um, allergy meds to you know twenty four medications now just to keep going, just you know just keep the ticker going. And I didn't necessarily understand you know what happened or how it's going to affect me and and. Um, you know, I just knew, you know, it, um, you know, if I had to go through, I was, I was going to go through it with a smile on my face. You know, I always said that, um, it, it was a lot easier said than done, but that's just, that's just kind of, you know, the way I was, I mean, I wasn't going to take it out on anybody else that I had to go to cardiac rehab or do things like that. I feel like, you know, there's just, it's a cardiology is kind of a hopeless field. You know, there's not a lot of hope for the doctors or for the patients. It's mostly older people. They're on a bunch of, you know, crappy meds, unfortunately, and, and, um, you know, they're trying to just get people through, you know, that, that next or final stage of their life, you know, and for me, I felt like it was a lot different, you know, I feel like if I, if I could have turned that negative into a positive, you know, it'd be a positive for a lot more people than just me, and, and it was like to have, you know, that opportunity to know, you know, that 97% of people um, that have that, you know, die, you know, I do know people. I feel I know better people, you know, that had the same heart attack I did and didn't get the same opportunity. And, you know, to have that, um, not only, you know, be that 3% that lives out of that 3%, you know, a lot of them, you know, they, they have memory issues, you know, they can't walk, can't talk, you know, things like that. And, you know, here I am, um, you know, I had already started losing weight, um, but, but, you know, I had an opportunity either to, you know, throw in the towel and, and can, you know, go back into pity party mode or I could, you know, push forward and, and, you know, attempt to make something out of it. So, you know, kind of what you said, Sean, I had gotten to, um, you know, about nine months through my recovery and through cardiac rehab and, you know, was, was cutting down on some meds and then gotten through a stress test and, and was walking around, you know, kind of aimlessly for nine months, you know, they, they give you all that power, you know, with the medication, not really much knowledge um, on, on how to manage it. And, um, you know, I really didn't have any goals. You know, I really was still like, oh, you know, I didn't ask for this. I thought, you know, I didn't think I had to have a heart attack to figure it out. And I, I still kind of was in a, you know, woe, woe is me um, mood. And, and, you know, I had a conversation with my doctor. It's more of a a therapy session than a, than a doctor's appointment. And I said, you know, I just really didn't have anything for me. You know, um, uh, he, he didn't know, but, you know, what, like we talked about when I was 15, you know, I took my bat and my glove away, you know, when I was uh, probably like, you know, only, I think they tried, you know, they tried to take my weights away and then they did, you know, essentially after the heart attack, they said, you know, no more weights, take these little pills and stop lifting weights. And I felt like, you know, that was not the answer. I wasn't going to get very far. You know, I always, say I was running a race from both sides, you know, it was either the, the condition or the medication that was going to kill me. You know, it was like that large amount of pills for that time period was, was not sustainable. Um, you know, being one of the, the younger kids that they deal with, um, I, I felt, you know, it was important to at least try, you know, because you can't tell the, you know, all they tell you is, oh, you'll be on these pills for life, you know, and it's like, you can't necessarily tell somebody that they won't be on them for life if nobody's ever tried, you know? So it's like, if I can get off these pills, you know, if I can manage this condition, you know, just by eating right, healthy exercise, whatever, and, and make those small changes over the course of time to dump this medication, you know, that'll be case one-on-one, you know? And then he won't be so, you know, confident prescribing those meds and say, you have to be on this for life. But, you know, somebody's, somebody, you know, had to do that. So, so that was, you know, my goal, uh, it was being in a, working with a bunch of doctors and being around a bunch of older people that are kind of been through something similar, which was nice, but still kind of working towards a different goal. You know, I knew I had a different goal.
What's your status on those pills now? How many How many do you have to take? Now? Um, you know, I'm I am I'm still actually I'm down to just I haven't started yet. They wanted to put me back on um, three right now, which would be aspirin, um, uh, uh, a cholesterol med, and um, also like a, an artery dilator. Um, so it's kind of more of the long term things, but. Uh, um, so you went from twenty four pills to three in two years. Right, right. And some people really stay right. on these 24 pills for the rest of their life the of until life, they right? die. Because it's, it's just easier to take those pills and look the other way. It's easier to just take that little pill and, wow. and keep going. You know, it's just because there's a lot of trial and error. You know, it's not pretty trying to get off those medications. You know, taking that many, you don't know which one's working, which one's not. But it's just, you know, you got to be willing to play the game, you know, kind of. And, and, and I knew, you know, I had the youth on my side to, to attempt to do that medication shuffling it's not recommended and they're never going to recommend it but it's also it's also a money maker you know and, and, and it was you know my life my body and I just figured that you know to give myself the best chance in the long term this you know this is what I would have to do and um, you know just just like you said you know I I, um, I went from 24 to 0 in 18 months and, and for the past 6 months I haven't taken really any other than allergy meds um, so they do want to start me on those three I'm skeptical um, I actually haven't started yet so I have been you know, medication free for about six months now good for you congratulations Thank you. you talked about God giving you a second chance um, if you could go back and give your younger self a piece of advice what would it be um you know a piece of advice uh, we, we always know I mean it's it's kind of like what I why I like what you guys are doing here. You know, I mean, it's, it's why we call it Adversity University. I mean, it's, you guys know, you know, that there, there, sometimes there's power in the struggle. You know, you can capitalize on that. You know, I, as soon as I realized that, you know, it wasn't a pity party, it was more of an opportunity. You know, it's just not, not necessarily everybody gets to even experience that, you know, for even, you know, some people don't even get to experience even losing, you know, the 113 pounds, you know, and, to get through, you know, 40, 50 of those before the heart attack and then to have that big speed bump and, you know, really just a, another speed bump, you know, in, in life and, and um, kind of like, you know, what we talked about, you, you, you fall in love with that number. So for me, for a while, what was driving me was, you know, driving the how many, you know, the competition was how many pounds can I lose, you know, and, and I got to, you know, about that 113 pounds by... Let me think. It had to be probably by, I'd say, at latest um, December of last, probably November, December of last year. So it was about 15 months, um, 15 months from from the heart attack. But uh, from from there, for I'd say about the last eight nine months, I've been the exact same weight on the scale, you know, and, and that can drive you crazy too, because that is, you know, just such a huge measure of success, you know, as far as how you're doing in, in the gym, in the fitness industry. I mean, people will beat their scale against the wall because it's just not moving, you know. And for me, uh, I kind of had to find another way of gauging it because, you know, I did fall in love with the number. I did get addicted. I, I remember when I was trying to get below 200, I was like, oh, you know, road to 200. And, and um, you know, I got there and then I was like, 185, you know. And then I was like, dude, you know. How low are you going to go? And then, and then why? You know, it's like at that point, you know, really I just wanted to do that because I was closer to 130. You know? And then, but then I was like, man, that's like 40%, something crazy like that. But I had to find another way to move forward, gauging it, and also know I'm moving forward. What's that way that you found to know that you're still moving forward without that number? Um, you know, for me, uh, you know, quick tips always, you know, how, how your clothes feel. You know, if, you're, if your clothes, of course, feel, you know, loose or tight or whatever, that's that's a gauge. Um, you know, for me, I always said, I, I um, you know, the physical benefit is, is an added bonus. Um, you know, of course, a lot of people work out to look good. That is also an added bonus. Uh, but for me, you know, it's a, I really needed you know, that mental benefit with all those, you know, medications. I was on an antidepressant for the first time in my life. And, and that's kind of, you know, one thing it told me. It was, you know, I felt I was always a very happy kid. It was interesting, you know, because they're like, hey, you know, depression's going to come with this. And, and 
I was like, what? You know, first time I believe, you know, I didn't believe you I was going to have a heart attack. Well, they didn't believe I was going to have a heart attack. But uh, now, you know, they're telling me, hey, you're going to deal with depression. You know, and it's, it's two very different things, you know, that you're dealing with for the first time in your life. And I'm like, man, you know, it's just, so so the stigma there is I had to take a, a antidepressant pill for probably eight, nine months. And, and, you know, I was not happy that, I called it my, you know, blue pill of happiness. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was not, proud of that pill one bit you know that was the first one I was you know one of the ones I was looking forward to ditch the most but you know I needed that and, and, and sometimes you do you know I had to stop looking at that as such of a bad thing but you know really working out was also just that uh, you know just that much more of a, of a mental benefit um, you know now um, I had to you know pick up things I, like I said I got a little dog at home and, and um you know, that in a, in, a, in a way helps me because I go, oh, you know, she's somewhat relying on me. You know, if she doesn't get out there and get her exercise, she doesn't get hers, you know, I'm setting her up for failure, you know. So that's another way that I make sure, you know, I also get mine as well and, and so forth. We can't thank you enough for coming on. It's uh, an honor, a pleasure to have known you for the last couple of years and we're, we're thankful that you're still around and, uh, we're so proud of you for the things that you've accomplished and, uh, not just from the heart attack, but from the weight loss to obviously your mental battle too, and changing your, your mindset completely. And, uh, obviously I knew you're an unbelievable person, but after doing this interview, like I'm very humbled to have known you and super proud of you for going through what you have. So we can't thank you enough for coming on and doing this. I appreciate you boys, man. I really appreciate the opportunity. I thank you guys for your time and um, you know, like I said, I, I like what you guys are doing. You know, I, I do think there is a uh, uh, power in the struggle, you know, and, and I don't think, you know, that is showcased enough or appreciated enough. You know, we all know that, you know, the LeBron Jameses of the world, the Kobe Bryant's of the world, you know, they didn't necessarily come from the best background. You know, most of these, you know, NBA players kind of come from a, uh, a tougher life. And, and, you know, it's like we glorify, you know, the – the platform and, and you know them being there but it is you know interesting to figure out you know how people got there you know what speed bumps were there and, and you know what you did to you know manage that and you know that is that is why we do appreciate what adversity universities can so thank you guys